What an episode this is, Blanche and her younger beau, not to be confused with Ander Beau Johnson. As Blanche works herself to the bone to impress a younger man she meets at the gym, Rose has to learn the hard way that just because her mother is older doesn't mean she's going to be dependent on her daughter or not live her life to the fullest. Additionally, we'll be joined by my dear friend and a doctor of dating younger men, Dr. Kelly Yoakum, who will talk to us about the pros and cons of May-December romances. Before we get into this week's episode, I must touch on something from last week's, the break-in. I was informed by the wonderful folks at the Facebook group Cuter Than an Interuterine that the opening credits scene in which Blanche has on the red outfit and pulls her hand in, kind of making a little sleeve puppet, was actually a deleted scene from the break-in episode. Now that is a fun fact. We start the episode with Sophia sneaking out of the kitchen in what looks to be one of Dorothy's t-shirts or maybe just a very cool 80s muumuu. Either way, I know it's a provocative opinion, but I really like it. I'm always down for a muumuu. As usual, she is being a little sneak because she's hoarding food. It really is impressive how tiny Sophia is for how much rich food she's always eating. It's like you said, Coco, she went to the school of Brad Pitt acting, how to act and chew. When Dorothy catches her in the hallway, we see that not only has Dorothy, or B, gotten a sporty new haircut she's showing off in a layered ensemble of a white button-up covered with a lavender sweater whose pattern must have come from the square-bodied huge head collection, but we also get a strange angle that director Jim Drake must have been experimenting with. He directed eight Golden Girls episodes, but this is one of the only ones where we get a view to the kitchen door from the hallway. It's also a great view of some of the additional notches and exclamation points in the wood beam behind Sophia, showing that the one on the front door is simply a fluke. In rewatching this episode, I realized for the first time that there's actually a door to the hallway, like you could close off the hallway with a regularly sized door. I'm not sure why you would ever want that, because even if you were having a party, people would still need to access the bathroom. Maybe it was just an 80s decoration choice, like how my mom put saloon doors in the entryway to our kitchen when I was a kid. A kitchen so small it had a counter and a counter, only room for the fantasy of an island. Speaking of kitchen islands, Coco, you caught that in this episode, the island is basically a small table, not the formal island we've become accustomed to in later episodes. Yeah, what's the deal with that? Isn't that a good question? Well, as we have saw in this one, they have that new, is that a buffet? I don't know the technical yeah. term for that, that shelving thing in the kitchen. I think it probably, yeah. So now that we're, you know, getting further and further, I you can kind of see where they're toying with the space of what makes mm -hmm. sense, what works for the girls. Um, even later when Blanche is at dinner on her date, spoiler, the table is tiny, tiny that they're at. I mean, you couldn't put a plate of food there. No. 
So maybe they were just testing the waters of, okay, yeah, let's put the buffet, let's change the island size, let's find what works. Sophia claims to be stashing her food away because Rose's mother is coming to visit, but she has a picky diet, which annoys her. But on the same hand, something about her being older means she'll not only need a special diet, but she's going to eat all of Sophia's food. Sophia then goes into an ageist rant that would have landed her on a Maury episode from the early 2000s. She's an 85-year-old grandmother that hates the elderly. Please welcome Sophia Petrillo. Talk show music. Sophia is certain that Rose's mother will be the type of old person she doesn't like, one that takes tending to, because Rose set in place a wheelchair, a special meal on the plane, an oxygen tank, and other accommodations for her arrival to Miami. Dorothy is telling Sophia to play nice and to not be so judgmental when she hears the door. She gets up to check, thinking it's Rose and her mother arriving. I haven't decided if Sophia's position is crappy or acceptable. On one hand, she shouldn't be judgmental or judgmental, as she would say, about someone that is old needing such accommodations. On the other hand, she is old as hell and refuses to live that way, leaving little patience for people that let age win. I personally share her belief. I won't stand for someone not doing something and using the excuse of, well, I'm 40 now. I don't want to go out. Shut up. You ain't dead. But I can also empathize with people that have no choice due to health issues. Coco, what are your thoughts on Sophia's stance? I think Sophia is establishing herself as the alpha eldest. Ooh. She's like, I have to lay down the law immediately, and I'm going to start by controlling the food. Wow. That's She does way it old deep. school. Old school, man. Sicilian style, I think. Food is a love language and also a hate language. <laughs> It's there's a lot of language in the food. That's a really interesting way to look at it, that it's not so much because of her age or because of how she acts. But like, hey, I'm the old person here. And if I need attention or or tending to or snacks, the snacks are mine. Yeah, I am. I am the number one granny here. Dorothy heads to the door and, looking in from the outside, another rarely seen angle, we see it isn't Rose at the door, but Blanche that is entertaining company. Dressed in her best 80s pastel gym attire and a seductive arm stretched to the top of the door, Blanche is making eyes at a hunk of an 80s, well, for the lack of better word, beefcake. Playing Dirk is not JFK Jr., but actor Charles Hill. Besides Golden Girls, he had four credits to his name, then... Poof. I have looked and looked, but cannot find any information about why he didn't act again. So if you or someone you know is Charles Hill, please have him email me so we can know what the heck happened. As Blanche thanks him for the ride home from the gym and says, see you next time at Jazzercise, he asks if he can see her before then. With Sophia and Dorothy looking on, Blanche excitedly leaves him hanging until she can check her date book before gleefully turning around to the girls to pretend she's debating as to whether or not she would actually go out with him since he is a little bit younger than her. This obvious statement is not only met with a deadpan face at the camera from Dorothy, but with a snicker of ridiculousness from the audience. In case you weren't lucky enough to be around in the 80s for the jazzercise craze, here's a little history. It was started in 1969 by dance instructor Judy Shepard Mizzet of Illinois. She then moved to California where she continued teaching her jazz-inspired exercise class. Get it? 
jazzercise. Once in California, the craze took off, leading to franchises, videos, and a place in pop culture history. Think of it as Zumba with much less cool moves or clothing. Well, depending on your taste. As Blanche continues to feign deliberation, Rose and her mother have arrived from the airport. Right away, it is made pretty clear that her mother is old and basically an invalid. Rose cheers her through the door as though she was a puppy. Speaking of invalid mothers, a few years ago it was Mother's Day, and my brother and I were playing Yahtzee, of course, with my mom. Being her day, we didn't let her do anything. Need a drink? We're on it. A pillow? Done. As the day went on, she became more and more annoyed at all the help. You see where I get it. And she laughed, for crying out loud, I'm not invalid. To this day, we no longer celebrate Mother's Day. We call it Invalid Day and don't allow her to do anything. That, of course, is not in reference to anyone that is actually invalid or unable to take care of themselves, just our fun way of pointing out how stubborn all of us are when it comes to accepting help. Basically, my mom is Alma. Once they're all in the house, introductions are made via Rose basically screaming names at her mom's face. We are then introduced to Alma Lindstrom, played by the only 11 years older than her TV daughter, Jeanette Nolan. Jeanette Nolan had 212 acting credits in her 40-year career. There are far too many notable shows she appeared on to go through the list, but from Perry Mason to Gunsmoke to Voices for the Rescuers and Fox and the Hound, Jeanette Nolan left a beautiful legacy of entertainment. We get our first hint that something might be off about how Rose is treating her mom when Dorothy introduces herself by yelling in Alma's face, only to be responded to via yelling, and for Alma to ask, which one is hard of hearing? After Rose explains that the yelling was for her mother's benefit, she pointed out that she didn't actually have a hearing difficulty. Rose only babies her and sits her in a chair while leaving to fix her a snack. Coco, fun fact. Go ahead, Coco. Alicia, you mentioned Jeanette Nolan. Yes. And that she did a voice for The Fox and the Hound. Yes. The Fox and the Hound is the first movie that Coco ever saw in a theater with his family. That is a fun Coco Jeanette Nolan fun fact. Oh, I also have another fu- Fox and the Hound fun fact. I mean, wow, I guess you're obsessed with this movie. Corey yeah. Feldman did the voice of the young did he dog? Yeah. Wow, what a career that guy's had. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Jeanette Nolan. And thank you, Coco. <laughs> Please leave that. Blanche starts to make small talk with Alma, which Rose jumps onto and answers for her mother. Sophia calls her out real quick, reminding her to let her mother speak for herself. Before Rose can make the snack she intended to, hopefully not the same snack she made for David when he visited in the On Golden Pond episode, I'm not sure her elderly mother's heart could take it, Blanche offers to show Alma the house, but Rose butts in once again, speaking for her mother, explaining that she must be exhausted from the trip and a tour might wear her out. Dorothy gets her first good smartass remark in with, well, she can skip the West Wing. A joke I think most people in small houses have made. As a person that grew up in and now also lives in a one-bathroom home, I can tell you nothing gets my dad joke blood flowing quite like someone asking for the bathroom. Yep, you just head straight down the hallway, follow it down. If you get to the master, you've gone too far. <laughs> I can really see your your dad going to town on a joke like that. <laughs> you know, a great trip to take when you just want to start out with a nap 
is a cruise, like the Golden Girls cruise coming up in January. Once you're loaded and things haven't really started, you just go to your room, you just lay down for a while, and you're like, you know what, let's go see the buffet. And that's it. There's nothing else to do. So that's one of the many reasons that we are going on the Golden Girls cruise. And I hope you, the listener, are as well. Getting ready for the cruise to take off is like, uh, you know, mom and dad are uh, packing the car yes. for a camping trip or a road trip. Oh, my gosh, it is. You're mm-hmm. like settled in. You're, yeah. you're in the car like, OK, let's go. You're like, I and they're still little, grabbing the last yeah. few things. I got my puzzle book. I have my snacks. I, I have, have my, my pillow, yeah. blanket. Yeah. yeah. This is going to be a fun road trip. <laughs> Rose then escorts her mother towards the hallway, insisting she needs to take a nap. Not so much a plot whoopsie, more so a funny reference. When Alma tells Rose she doesn't need a nap, Rose argues with even Bob Hope takes naps, which of all the celebrities to reference, it's funny it's the one that in a later season, we learn that not only is Alma Rose's adopted mother, but that Rose is convinced that none other than Bob Hope is her birth father. Father. (laughs) adopted mother, but that Rose is convinced that none other than Bob Hope is her birth father. Perhaps even in season one, she was convinced of it and thinking about him all the time. So that was the easiest name to come up with. Did Bob Hope have a telethon or some sort of... He did. Is that why she's saying that? Like he's up, even Bob Hope takes a nap. He's up for 24 hours at a time sometimes when he does his telethon. Is that the joke? You know what? I just assumed it was because he was old. Actually, it was more so that he had a famous quote of, I don't feel old. I don't feel anything till noon. That's when it's time for my nap. So he was kind of an open napper. In a time when that was frowned upon. Probably, yeah. You like you work and you go and you do and no one's tired ever. I think only recently, I mean, really, this past year, people that can, they nap. Yeah. You know? We've recognized the importance of it. You need it. It's just Hey, you're tired? Go yeah. sleep. It's like you just kind of like uh, just give your brain a quick wash or something. Yeah. Right? Just let it dunk stop it, for a minute. Dunk it. Especially let it with how dry. everything is. Yeah. Like just let it stop for a minute. Yeah. Set it on a windowsill. Let it air dry. Yeah. Like a it's pie. It's going to feel great. Well, not air dry like a pie, but. Mm, good rhyme. Transition music. <laughs> Rose continues her smothering behavior while the girls wait in the living room. Sophia is the only one to point out that Rose is all over Alma, while Dorothy just mentions she thinks she's nice. When we get to Blanche for her opinion of Alma, we realize she has been daydreaming the whole time and has decided she is going to go out with Dirk, the younger man. As she shares her decision to date Dirk, she bashfully and coyly shares that her momentary hesitation came from the fact that Dirk is nearly five years younger than her. With Dirk looking more like 20 years younger, although it was the 80s and young people looked older, so who knows, Dorothy responds with the driest, most unflinching, in what, Blanche? Dog years? Implying the age difference was more like 35 years. When calculating dog years, most people average it out to be each human year is worth seven to dogs. It makes sense. Dogs live to be about 10 to 13 years old, which would be about 70 to 91 in human years. To more accurately count your dog's age, break it down into three parts. The first year is about 15 to humans. The second adds another 10, and every year after that is about four. 
Dorothy delivered the dog years line totally straight, and as the audience cackling dies down, it looks like Rue is trying to keep herself from laughing, like actually breaking character. She looks around, purses her lips. Blanche is usually offended by such lines or gives it a hmm. It's just funny to see a moment of Rue trying to hold it together. It takes a moment, but once Blanche is back, she is back, stating that there is a Vesuvius of passion within her, referring to Mount Vesuvius, the volcano that destroyed Pompeii, to which Sophia says, stand back, we're going to get something on us. Ew. Dorothy still hasn't moved after burning Blanche and is listening as she goes on and on about having never felt such a way for a man, to which Dorothy's head drops because the weight of her eyes rolling has actually knocked her down. We all know that for Blanche, well, it's just not true that she's never felt that way. Remember how just a few episodes ago she almost got married? Well, we all have that friend. Heck, I used to be that friend. Blanche then recounts a story from when she was a teenager. It goes a bit St. Olafian, sending Sophia into a coma-like state. As Blanche continues, Dorothy snaps that Sidney Sheldon wrote shorter stories. Sidney Sheldon was an Oscar-winning screenplay and television writer. He created shows like The Patty Duke Show, I Dream of Jeannie, and Heart to Heart. After working in television, he became a writer, selling millions of copies of his 18 novels. The jab at Blanche's storytelling comes from the fact that the average page count for Sidney's biggest sellers are around five to 600 pages. When we finally get to the end of Blanche's story, it turns out that Andy Griffith, the actor and star of The Andy Griffith Show and Matlock, had been the man that came to the drugstore where she was working and whom she could have had a love affair with. She missed out on her chance with Andy, and she won't miss her chance for this flavor of the week. When Blanche leaves, Dorothy and Sophia realize they've heard that story before, just with different components. Instead of Andy, it was John Cameron Swayze. John Cameron Swayze was a news commentator and game show panelist through the 50s and 60s. And no, he is not related to Patrick. It's a new day and Blanche is getting ready for her date with Dirk. Not getting ready like putting her makeup on, getting ready by doing aerobics on the living room floor using the not often seen television. As Blanche is sweating it out to the presence, Dorothy is living my life by laying on the couch, watching her work, and throwing in snide comments. The ball's on her for this one. Dorothy is literally laying on the couch, and I honestly cannot tell if she's got a blanket laying on her or she's in a dress, you know, because they always dressed her in such flattering clothes. But she doesn't even have a book or a crossword puzzle. She is laying on the couch, watching her friend work out, and giving her crap. It would be amazingly cruel if it wasn't so funny. Although, honestly, that's the kind of workout support I seek. I don't want some Pendleton dude telling me to keep pushing, great job. No, I need a sassy friend to lay there and tell me I'm ridiculous. Blanche is done with her workout and she starts to take her vitamins so she can meet the expectations set by, well, herself. In saying Dirk wants a trim body with good tone, Dorothy tells her to get him a princess phone. I know I don't have to explain every little thing, but I'm pretty sure a large portion of listeners aren't going to know what a princess phone is. Why, back when we had landlines. Dorothy makes that comment because princess phones were marketed as being chic and sleek, not clunky like old rotary phones. It is the kind of landline where the rotary is in the middle of the receiver and it goes across, kind of like a hot dog. Hopefully, that makes sense. Everyone knows the orientation of a hot dog. So <laughs> we're definitely good. 
I just want to say I love how B shot this scene. She is full on in that couch and has the kind of chin situation I do when I open my camera and it's on selfie mode. On national television, she does not care. She didn't move herself into an unreasonable but cuter position. She didn't ask to retake it. It's also one of our first peeks at another one of B's personality traits I relate to. She actually had it in her contract that there would be times she wouldn't have to wear shoes. During the couch scene, you can see her feet just wiggling around happily free from the restraints of shoes. Blanche is taking a regimen of vitamins, including sheep's liver oil, which isn't used as a vitamin anymore, fish oil, and bee pollen, all of which have been shown to provide different health benefits. But there's always the downside of relying on an animal byproduct, especially when it relies on overfishing or dwindling bee populations. As Blanche downs her pills, saying she's feeling younger by the day, Dorothy says, great, when they defrost Walt Disney, you'll have someone to go out with. First of all, yes, for years there have been rumors that all or just the head of Walt Disney is frozen so that in the future, when we have the technology, he can be unfrozen and like live forever or something. And two, I don't know that I fully get this joke. Is she saying that because she's old enough to know the same things as Disney, but she'll be younger like him? They're two preserved people. I didn't fully get it. Just giving her grief of, like, trying to preserve your body unnaturally, maybe. Yeah, the, oh, yes, perfect. But the thing is, okay, so you're unfrozen. I feel like your head's even, mush. even with the technology, your brain is mush. You're not going to know, like, your body's frozen. It's... Austin Powers, but in the beginning when he doesn't even know how to pee or anything. I think that would take a long time to recover from. Those are my thoughts. And that's why I'm not freezing my head. Thank you. Dorothy pushes Blanche to explain why she would want to be with someone that doesn't love her for her or that makes her feel like she isn't good enough just because she's older. Blanche has a pretty good answer that she wants a youthful relationship, which is a good goal to have, but not if you feel like you aren't loved unconditionally. This insight as to why Blanche would want to date someone younger touches back on what Sophia had talked about with Alma, that they live youthful lives for their ages and they want people in their lives that do the same. Blanche high knees her way out of the door as Rose makes her way in. While Rose complimented Blanche on her way out, she's candid with Dorothy, telling her Blanche looks terrible. Dorothy points out it's due to her diet and pills. She also stands up, showing that she is, in fact, wearing a house robe blanket snuggy thing. It looks incredibly comfortable, and I wish I had had one through quarantine. When Rose shares she's come home early to spend time with her mom, Dorothy tells her that Sophia took her to the horse track. Rose immediately panics that her mom is gone while Dorothy plays it cool. Before Rose can totally panic or go find them, the mothers return. Sophia has a not-so-happy look on her face while Alma is beaming. Rose doesn't greet her with a, How was it? Did you have fun? Or what did you guys do today? But rather a worried, Mother, are you all right? Sophia's expression is due to the fact that she lost 50 bucks at the races and Alma won 400. Dorothy celebrates the win while hinting that Sophia lifted the lost 50 from her purse. Alma wants to celebrate too by taking Sophia to the mall to buy bikini underwear, the new hip trend. The expected answer for someone her age would be, oh my, while Sophia implies she's actually already tried it and informs Alma she doesn't want any because they ride up. 
Rose immediately sits her mother down at the kitchen table because she's had another big day, and she is worried her mother will be tired and break a hip just like the last time. Except the last time she broke her hip, it was while she was ice skating. Rose doesn't hear her and continues berating her. Then Alma delivers an Alma needs some cream for this burn by saying she has had more fun at the hospital with a broken hip than she had while being with her smothering child. Ouchie mama. Okay, quick side story. Years ago, my family was in Southern California, and we went to the Hollywood Forever Cemetery to look around and admire its beauty. Then we passed a huge headstone that made all of us stop in our tracks. I don't recall the name that was on it, but across the concrete it read, Rest, Mother, Rest. Another phrase I use in the same way Dorothy might threaten Shady Pines. There was something so unsettling about that, like somehow that sweet phrase without tone was just threatening. So anytime my mom gets on my nerves, I just grab her gently and say, rest, mother, rest. Alma storms out and Rose is heartbroken. Later that night, or maybe it's the next, we see Rose at the door anxiously awaiting the return of her mother, who has now gone grocery shopping with Sophia. Dorothy tries to quell her fears, but to no avail. A quick fashion moment for Rose here. While most people think neon colors and eye-catching outfits when it comes to the 80s, nothing says 80s to me more than Rose's outfit here. It's a simple dress, light denim colored, with a white collar and a pastel pink belt at the waist. It looks like something taken out of my pastel-decorated childhood. Now all it needs is a good goose or bunny. Rose's argument for wanting her mother home was because it is so dangerous in the world that she had just read about 1,400 people being injured in Calcutta food riots. While there have been food riots in India before, I was unable to find anything regarding a huge one around 1985. Sophia gets home but doesn't have Alma. That's because she wanted to go play highlight, which I think the implication is that she wanted to gamble on a game of it. But when Dorothy asks why Sophia isn't with her, she says it's because she's too short to play it, meaning Alma is playing the actual game, or perhaps she is giving Rose some grief. Highlight is originally from Basque and is played very similarly to that game we had in PE when we were kids, where you and your friend have a little scooper and you fling the ball to the other person who catches it in their scooper. It's like that, but with more people, a wall, and much bigger scoopers. The anxiety of roses that we saw in the break-in episode is rearing its ugly head again. She starts to rattle off all the extreme things that could happen to her mom just because she has to ride the bus. Now she's going to get pushed around and maybe even mugged. Dorothy once again is right and reminds Rose that her mom is active and capable. As soon as Rose starts to agree, there's a phone call. It's the police. They picked up Alma on the side of the road. She had been lost. When Dorothy tries to leave with Rose, it's clear Rose blames Dorothy for allowing Alma to be out unsupervised. Neither Dorothy or Sophia seem to be too worried about Alma, which I'm not sure if that's a 100% good thing, that they believe in her so much that they know she's okay, or if they're just bad friends and they're like, eh, she'll figure it out. Although I try to take a page out of Dorothy's book and not be stuck on, oh my God, Rose is mad at me, and just wish for the best. Adults are adults. But before they can worry about Alma too long, Blanche appears in a very unexpected outfit. It's a floral, flowy dress that goes to her mid-calf with flat sandals. She's definitely dressed more seductively in the past, and you would think that with all the work she'd been doing and being so preoccupied with her looks, she would have worn something not so childlike. But maybe that's the point. She's dressed like a younger girl to feel younger. No judgment on the dress itself. It was just unexpected. 
Blanche gloats about her feeling so youthful and sprightly that she has stopped time. While we don't know what day the date was made, we do know they planned for the next Saturday. So at most, she's done all this work and Benjamin buttoning in a week. But as we'll find out in the next scene, Dirk asked her out on Thursday. All of that work was just in two days. Dorothy doesn't rain on the parade. She craps on it by reminding Blanche that she will still be how old she is no matter what. Adding to the pep talk, Sophia points out that gravity will always win. Dorothy once again provides reality that pointing out Blanche has done all of this and she hasn't even been on a date with the guy yet. This is why I had very strict rules when I was dating. First rule, no first date. A first meetup and it's for an hour. I will set a stopwatch before your eyes. And on that meetup, you aren't getting me all glammed. I don't know you. I don't know if you're worth the effort or deserve to have that before your eyes. So you get a work casual weekday afternoon level of glam and one hour. Then future meetings will be decided. It's one thing if you want to stay healthy to have more time with your partner. It's quite another to strain yourself and change your normal habits for someone you've only just met. I mean, you shouldn't even do that kind of stuff for your partner. Only healthy changes because you want them. Okay, you guys? Dirk arrives in the largest yellowy tan beige jacket, t-shirt, and jeans and compliments Blanche on her stunning looks. Instead of owning it, like, yeah, I've actually been working really hard to make some strides for myself, she is the most ridiculous and does the old, oh, I didn't even put on my makeup, which also doesn't jive since she is in full-on Homer Simpson gun makeup makeup. I hope you guys know that reference. <laughs> Dorothy doesn't roll her eyes when she hears this. She rolls her entire body to it. Blanche gives a final speech to the girls before heading out on her date. Dorothy and Sophia are in the kitchen where it appears something went wrong with the kitchen sink in the short time since Blanche has been on her date. Dorothy is under it, working away with tools. In talking about how wacky the house has been over the last few days, she says Blanche is Peter Pan, because he never ages, while Rose is becoming Mommy Dearest. Mommy Dearest was a book that then became an iconic 1981 film. Mommy Dearest was written by Christina Crawford, the adopted daughter of old Hollywood queen and icon Joan Crawford. If you have a friend that puts on a face mask, then melodramatically says, No more wire hangers! Your friend is quoting Mommy Dearest and is probably a gay man. I'm sure this whole look has been done in drag before, and I would love to see it. Sophia also gives Dorothy a moniker, Josephine the Plumber. This is in reference to an ad campaign for the cleanser Comet. Back in the 1960s, actress Jane Withers, who was known through the 40s and 50s as a child star, holding her own next to Shirley Temple and James Dean, became a household name as Josephine the Plumber, much like Progressive's Flow, which was inspired by Josephine. Once again, we're treated to these older ladies getting it done themselves. Dorothy fixes the sink, teasing us about her plumbing skills that will come in handy in another episode. While Dorothy has corrected the sink problem, we hear the Lindstrom ladies coming in the door, clearly upset with one another. While Alma getting picked up by the police fit Rose's narrative of her being incapable of independence, Alma rightfully defends herself, explaining that she had only flagged down the officer to get directions, not help. The officer brought their own ageism to the table by not answering her question and just seeing that she was elderly and assuming she must be lost and took her to the station. 
Even as Alma defends herself and makes totally valid points that she shouldn't have been treated that way just because she looks old to people, Rose still doesn't listen and only makes it worse by acting like she can't talk to her mother when she's worked up, again insisting that she needed a nap. After saying she'll see her in the morning, Alma disagrees, explaining that she's going to be gone early in the morning to go visit Rose's brother in Houston, and she will have way more fun there not being babied. Sophia, understanding Alma's feelings, offers to help her pack while also hoping to get some of Alma's winnings from the races. Rose is distraught and confused. She can't understand why her desire to help her mom is turning her mom against her. Dorothy makes the point that when they were teenagers, the only thing they wanted was to be treated like they were adults. Now she was doing the same thing to her mom, when all she wanted was to be treated like an adult woman, not an old person that isn't capable of independence. To quote the eternal Lloyd Christmas from Dumb and Dumber, senior citizens, while slow and dangerous behind the wheel, can still serve a purpose. Sophia and Alma are playing cards in the bedroom as she puts her things in her suitcase. Sophia hasn't won any of the money from Alma, but rather now owes her an additional 40 bucks. So that plan didn't exactly work out. Poor Dorothy, Alma's visit has cost her 90 bucks and a fight with her friend. This is one of, if not the first times, that we've seen Rose's room. Just like with the other ladies, it is a mansion. While Blanche got the iconic banana leaves, though, Rose got uh, really sad orange-white-brown clouds with pictures of other orange and brown things on the wall with a brown bed but pink comforter, you know, the one your friend had as your blanket when you would sleep over. It really is the most unpleasant of all the room decorations. She has room for approximately 19 king beds in her room, but has a simple queen. That way she has room for the full-sized couch, coffee table, nightstands, secretary's desk, swivel chair, and huge decorative plants. I couldn't fit what she has in her bedroom into my living room. Near her huge closet that somehow isn't a walk-in, there's another door, but it isn't the one for her bathroom. Perhaps a closet within a closet? Rose comes to the room and asks to speak with her mom. Alma confirms that Rose is making her miserable. Rose defends her actions as coming from a place of love, and that, having lost her father and husband, she's scared of losing her mom, so she's extra protective. Alma then drops a truth bomb that is a life motto we should all live by. Stopping me from living isn't going to stop me from dying. Hugging it out, the ladies have done what is not impossible and should be the regular. They communicated their needs, concerns, and intentions. Hearing one another, they were able to figure out where the other person was coming from so they could have a better understanding. Then it wasn't, I'm angry because you're holding me back and treating me like a child. It could be, I see that you're doing this because you love me, but I need space. Dorothy and Sophia are setting the dinette set for dinner, including an unusual fourth setting for Alma, although we never see her eat as she would have had to have her back to the audience. Being that it's a special occasion, the ladies are using the Sicilian china Sophia got in Italy for Dorothy's wedding present. While sharing that they have used those dishes for many a meal, Sophia takes the moment to give Dorothy appreciation for treating her like an independent adult, not babying her like Rose is to Alma. While Dorothy gets choked up in the emotion of the moment, Sophia takes the opportunity to try to get out of owing her the 50 bucks from the track. Luckily, Alma had already agreed to let the 40 from cards slide. We finally get to Blanche at her date. 
She and her hunk are ordering with Blanche going first. She gets the escargot, which is snails, duck a l'orange, which is orange duck, and a tossed salad with blue cheese. For someone that is undoubtedly expecting the state to not only go well but go to the bedroom, Blanche is a risk taker when it comes to what kind of breath, burps, and gas she's going to be having during those intimate moments. Dirk then orders a watercress salad with two lemon wedges. Even though Dirk made no comment about the larger meal Blanche ordered, she plays dumb like she didn't see that salad on the menu and cancels getting what she wanted in order to get the same sad little salad he ordered. Which is funny that he only got a salad. For how ripped he is, he would probably have to eat closer to how The Rock does, which is like 6,000 calories and nonstop protein. As Blanche makes small talk about the restaurant, Dirk says he's into macrobiotics, which is a diet that was developed in the 1920s by a Japanese philosopher. A macrobiotic diet is a diet created around Zen Buddhist ideals. The goal of the diet is to balance your food in a yin-yang fashion. Not being turned off by the macrobiotics or spending a dinner talking to some dude about his diet, yawn, Blanche tries to learn more about her date. Before he was an aerobics instructor, he worked at a museum, just like Blanche does. Only he was an art mover, not an art fan. As he lifts the dinner table to show his strength, Blanche is more and more aware that there may be too many differences in this relationship to work. Hoping he has some cultural interests, she asks about his reading habits, his most recent favorite being, of course, Pumping Iron, the 1974 book by then-bodybuilding world champion Arnold Schwarzenegger. Just as Blanche looks like she's lost all interest, Dirk starts to express his feelings, that he likes how comforted he feels in Blanche's presence, and that she reminds him of his mother. Turns out his mom was living across the country in Seattle, so it was nice for him to be around similar energy. Blanche smiles, then gives the definition of what screaming internally looks like before slowly turning her head to find the waiter. She didn't work her butt off to only be seen as a mommy figure for a boy with mommy issues. She does what she should have done from the beginning, and she corrects her order back to the real meal she wanted and adds a double Jack Daniels on the rocks. We're back to the house to see Dorothy and Rose cleaning up from dinner while Sophia and Alma are back to gambling with cards. Through the whole episode, it didn't help that Alma dressed like a pioneer woman from 1890 when she was trying to prove her point about not being old. While sitting across from Sophia, we see how Sophia wears age-appropriate clothes that still have a youthful feel to them. A simple pink dress with a red cardigan, while Alma is wearing a floral dress her mother probably wore in 1910, complete with a lace collar lace shawl and cameo neck piece it kind of her outfit kind of reminds me of the beverly hillbillies yes mama. the grandma mm -hmm. it really is like costumed old lady sophia has her moments where mm -hmm. it's obviously older but so often she's dressed really cute yeah, and colorful. age appropriate yeah, yeah age yeah. appropriate and yeah she looks like <laughs> a ghost the way an old lady ghost an old lady ghost and uh being in florida it, you just saying that reminded me of the two young women that in order to get vaccines dressed up like grandmas they probably wore something like this like oh, yeah. a like a little old hat and a little curly wig and the lace shawl yeah it's a little it's a little costuming once again, Sophia loses to Alma, causing her to have a mini tantrum and hit the pretzels they were using to play with. And once again, she has to use Dorothy's money. 
The girls voice their concerns about Blanche dating such a younger man, leading them to all share their experiences. Dorothy chimes in that she's dated a younger man, which Rose is shocked by. Rose reacts so much that instead of pushing back or telling her to chill out, Dorothy kind of backhandedly calls her out by saying, sure, but it was before I had the hump on my back. A classic Dorothy move. But if Rose thought she was shocked before, she better hold on to her turban flurbers because Alma joins in and casually admits to having carried on a three-year affair with Ben, a transient ex-con that became a farmhand and her lover, after Rose's father had died. She speaks fondly of the time she had with the young man. Following her own advice, she was living her life, even if parts of it seemed scary. Rose is shocked and nearly appalled at the idea of Alma living with whom she perceived as a dangerous man. Hearing how happy that time with Ben made her, Rose started to change her tune and corrected her judgment. Sophia, ever the sly one, realizes that Ben was probably where Alma learned to gamble. Not only was that true, but he taught her how to carve a pistol out of soap, a trick not only attempted by, but successfully used by some inmates to escape prison who were probably inspired by John Dillinger, the infamous gangster and bank robber who had carved a wooden gun to use for one of his multiple jail escapes. Sophia and Alma leave to gossip more about Ben while Rose and Dorothy sit at the table to talk. Then Blanche comes in, stating, I don't want to talk about it, but the girls won't let that fly. They push her to explain what happened because it obviously wasn't good. Blanche embarrassingly shares that Dirk wanted a mother, not a lover, and that she feels foolish about the whole thing. Rose thinks it's kind of sweet, and Blanche calls her Betty Crocker, implying she's just so wholesome. Fun fact, Betty Crocker wasn't ever a real person. She was just created by a marketing team. Blanche apologizes for being rude and explains that she's feeling depressed because she feels, for the first time in her life, that she is over 40 years old. Dorothy helps her by pointing out that she feels that way because she's over 50 years old. As Blanche continues to complain, Dorothy puts her foot down, pointing out that she's happy, healthy, has her looks, she's doing well, and there really isn't that much to complain about, especially just because of a bad date with a loser dude. Rose and Dorothy leave the kitchen while Blanche sits and considers what they pointed out, and she realizes, well, Dorothy is right. Hi, it's Kelly Niles Yoakum. I am a doctor of gerontology which means uh, aging is my thing. I am 54 years old. I live in Claremont, California, and I teach at a university here in Southern California, and it's all about aging and gerontology. Let's start with the young men, since that's your uh, professional and personal expertise. <laughs> my personal favorite. <laughs> Yeah, so, let's talk about let's talk about the young men. So in uh don't get too excited now. Um <laughs> in the episode Blanche and the Younger Man, she's dating a younger man and the girls give her grief about it and she's kind of exploring what would be there in that relationship even though they do have such an age difference. What are your thoughts on that on dating younger men nowadays? I am very pro dating younger men. <laughs> and, you know, that episode is actually one of my favorites because um, it does bring to the forefront um, not only aging stereotypes, but stereotypes about older women and younger men, right? We, if, if you think about um, older men and younger women, that's, we, we've been doing that forever. There, there really is, is there a name uh, that we call an older man dating a younger woman? Right. Not not really. 
But now we have all of these things for older women dating younger men, like, uh, are you a cougar? Are you a panther? How many cubs do you have? And it's, it's really, uh, if you think about what a cougar or a panther are, they're predators, right? So I, I love that episode because it debunks a lot, of, a lot of that. There are a lot of myths and stereotypes that run amok uh, when we're talking about this particular topic. Um, and I like to debunk them as often as I can. Well, what are some of those things that you either saw in the episode or you see in real life that you think need to be debunked? Because I do love that about the cougar. I saw your post last week about that of this is such BS that, of course, women doing the same thing, they get this not only a name to it, but not really a villainous name, but yeah, predatory name. Yeah, exactly. Well, some of the the myths, let's just start with aging and sex, right? So, well, I'm turning 54 and I have never felt younger or more alive than I do right now. And in my classroom, sadly, I spend a lot of time just talking about the fact that older people have sex, <laughs> right? Which is shocking. Yes, your grandparents are having sex. Um, people over the age of 30 still have sex and, and women in particular want to be desired and still have all of those longings and interests. So that's the big one is we still have sex. <laughs> so once you get past all of that, as a gerontologist, uh, you know, age is kind of my thing and later life is, is, is kind of my thing. And so the age thing is important only in that um, it's a social construct that helps us categorize things. And, and that's it. You know, when I'm out with my girlfriends or I am going out on a date with a younger guy, we don't really talk about his age that much, right? We want to know all the normal things. You know, does he have a job? Does he deliver pizza? Which is totally fine. But, you know, the only thing that uh, I think gets in the way um, are how we feel about ourselves um, and how open we are to kind of ripping, ripping apart, ripping the bandaid off um, our ideas about age and later life and sex and in particular women, women and sex. And I think how that's judged or perceived. Absolutely. And I think that's something that's so admirable about uh, Blanche, especially in that episode. You know, the girls are giving her grief about dating this younger guy and she doesn't really flinch about it and she's out in public and doesn't care you know there's no concern of looks or what are people thinking I'm with this young guy it's just no I he's attractive I want to be with him. <laughs> yeah. you know I I will say the judging comes from society but it comes from within right it comes from your own self and how open you are it comes from your circle of people I didn't even know younger men were interested in me uh, after my divorce, yeah, I, I got on that. I had a girlfriend that says, you, you need to get back out there. You have, you have to get back out there. So of course, turn to the dating app. And so that's kind of how it happened for me. I'm interested in why, mostly why younger men are attracted to older women. So I do my own screening and I will say, you know, have you ever dated an older woman? Why are you interested in an older woman? And so those conversations are, are really interesting. And it's very similar to what Blanche was going through with Dirk, making sure that you're uh, meeting on the same plane. What have you found in that? Because obviously they're at dinner and he explains or shares that 
he's comfortable around her because she reminds him of, her, of his mother, <laughs> which is not what anyone wants to hear. Um, in your little casual surveying, what have you found that younger guys have said about that? It's really interesting. And there's a, there is a commonality. There's a theme. Younger men will say in general um, that they like to date older women because older women are um, not on a, not on a clock right? They're not going to pressure them to get married. They're not going to pressure them to have children or settle down. Um, and that older women, um, are more experienced, uh, about sex. They know more about sex. So there's a lot to be kind of deconstructed, uh, in all of that. And yeah, is there the mother thing? I don't know. I, I haven't found that in, in the men that I've been dating, um, over these years. Uh, but there is something there, right? Right. Well, and you're a very intelligent woman. And, you know, you kind of touched on this, that Dirk is kind of portrayed as this doofy young guy. You know, he's like, oh, I'm into lifting stuff and Arnold Schwarzenegger and things like that. So it is also kind of that same stereotype of like, oh, if you're in your 20s or early 30s, you're just a doofer guy. Yes. You wouldn't waste your time with idiots. <laughs> so well, I wouldn't put I it, mean, I go that far. <laughs> you, you would have fun, but you wouldn't invest. <laughs> Can you touch kind of on those stereotypes that you know about younger men and what you've seen or experienced as far as maturity, if that's, if that is a true stereotype or not? Yeah. So it's interesting because one of the things that drives me crazy beyond the cougar, and those stereotypes for older women are the stereotypes for the younger men, that there must be something wrong with them, that it must be about their mother, that, you know, they're looking for something else or they just want to have sex, all of which could be true. But the calling younger men cubs really just, just gets under my skin because we're treating them like objects, really thinking about you know, who these, these men are as human beings. Is it fun to be with an older man, a younger man? Um, yeah. Is the sex great? Yeah, the sex is great. But you can find that in somebody your own age. You can find that in somebody older. So um, I really like to call out the women who call themselves cougars and describe their men as um, cubs because it's very, it's degrading. And so um, it, it goes both ways. Continually having that kind of verbiage around it totally invalidates any opportunity for real relationship there. It, right. It's like, oh, well, you guys aren't actually in love. You have 40 years between you or 20 years. So that can't be because you're just a cougar and you're just a cub. So that is a really good point of just, you don't even allow for real feelings to exist in that. Right. And, you know, so the biggest age gap uh, that I've had is 28 years. He was 28 years younger than me. A lot of the you know, narrative around our relationship. And we dated for eight months. You know, we had a great time. We went out. We, it was a relationship. You start to really think about where is it going to go and do people want children? And the barriers really come from uh, the side of the younger men who have to figure out if they want to tell their families um, or what their friends are going to think um, and what they want to do with their life, right? Because I'm 54. I'm not having any children. I probably won't ever get married again. 
So when you start to think about the framework around that kind of relationship, those, those things, those things come up. And on my end, you know, it's high fives and it's, you know, yeah, he's very sexy and the sex must be great on his end. He's trying to figure out what this looks like for him. What have been some of the things that you've experienced firsthand, either from friends or family, or maybe out in public when you are out with someone that's clearly significantly younger than you? I haven't experienced any anything negative. I've never had anybody call me the mother or that he's my son. I haven't had any of that. Uh, it will sometimes come from the guy that I'm dating himself. So I was dating um, a guy in Portland and when we would go out, he was, there's no PDA. He was very uptight about it. You know, I hope that we're not uptight about any of this anymore, but you know, society, this, it still happens. What I look for in a younger man, if I'm going to date them is his level of security uh, in his own self. Is he comfortable with himself? And really, why are you doing this? I mean, we can all go out and have sex, right? But to go any further than that, he has to be confident and competent and, and not give a shit what anybody thinks. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and that's something that, yes, usually comes with age, but I've definitely found that that self-confidence can come at any time and really does make such a difference in how someone is. I mean, that kind of emotional maturity is means so much more than just what people call maturity. Right. And, and it's funny that we put so much on chronological age. I had a really amazing relationship over COVID with a man who was 25. 24 when I met him uh, and turned 25, there was really nothing about age. And he was more mature than some of the men my age, right? Had his self together. And so I, I would love it if we could get away from chronological age as being the defining narrative around anything, relationships, friendships, uh, level of maturity, any of that. I feel like a lot of positive has come from quarantine of just people being forced to look inside themselves and reevaluate relationships because you're, you know, at a distance. Yeah. So maybe by the time we're out, everyone can just look how you want, dress how you want, (laughs) be with who you want. Who cares? We made it through. (laughs) We're just happy to be outside. That's right. Happy to be outside. And, you know, dating for me during COVID has, I am really not dating. Um, and, I look forward to I look forward to it again, and you know my preferences for younger men. I, I don't think that's going to change. I had an interesting experience with a friend and colleague of mine. We have a regular um, weekly research meeting that includes Cadillac margaritas, and, <laughs> and I got up to go to the bathroom, left my phone there. I get back and he says, "Don't be mad at me." What he did was he raised my my age range in my dating app <laughs> while I was in the bathroom. And, and so we had a really long talk about that. And he said, well, I just, I want you to find a relationship. I want you to fall in love and to be with somebody. And he knows I'm a gerontologist. He knows, you know, I got a PhD in this, right? He's been teaching it for 20 years. So our deal was, I would try it for a week. Um, that I would try dating guys that were in their fifties. And it was the most horrific week of my life. After every date, I would call him up and say, I fucking hate you, but I, but I did it. And okay, d- don't hate me, uh, men of my age. 
Um, and not, I'm not having any stereotypes, right? So this seems like a double standard. Um, <laughs> hey, this is your firsthand experience. <laughs> this, this is my, this was your things. research. This is your thesis. <laughs> this was my research. And what I found in dating guys that were my own age, and this is personal preference. I was married for almost 20 years. Um, I had the sitting on the couch. I had the raising the kids. I had all of that. Um, and I want more. I just feel like it doesn't matter the age. It matters what, how well you know yourself um, and what you want out of life, right? And I want to go on adventures. I want to go on road trips. I want to jump out of airplanes. I'm not saying that guys need to jump out of airplanes with me, but... You're not in that societal expectation of, I'm in my mid-50s and now I just sit and watch AARP commercials and wait <laughs> to die, which is fair. And that's how it should be. Do people give me shit? Yeah. I mean, I get, not my close uh, friends, but, you know, people are like, you're 50 now. What the fuck is 50? What is 50? Right? So that's why, you know, I say a lot of, if I post a selfie, like I did the other day, this is what 54 looks like for me. And so to really be putting these barriers around things that are about age is just ridiculous. Even though I just said, I don't like to date men my own age. <laughs> You know, there are women in their 50s that maybe lived that crazy life. You know, they had the opposite of you and they spent their 20s and 30s going, 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 going. They get to 50 and it's like, yeah, I am a little tired. I could go for matching recliners and <laughs> prices right all day, you know, and that yeah. that works for them. I think that is such a part of Golden Girls. I When I was little, I remember seeing, oh, yeah, they're old women, but it never... I never thought, well, they should be sitting down or they should just go be in the living room and watch TV. You know, they exactly. were always going and volunteering and working. So yeah, it's more, what is your lifestyle? In that particular episode with Dirk, um, I, I love that episode so much because um, they both, uh, Dirk and Blanche, were coming at, at the situation from very different places and I see in Blanche part of myself, right? I think as women, I mean, men too, of course, but we want to be desired. We want somebody to want us. We want somebody to choose us, right? And this guy was giving her all of that. Uh, and her friends gave her shit about it and couldn't understand it. But I think no matter the age, that's what we all want as human beings is to want somebody to want us. Um, and then, you know, when she realized there was a, a mother component. <laughs> And I think there's a secondary kind of subtle plot line to that of no matter the age, you should be finding someone that makes you feel good who you are. You know, she's like, oh, I haven't eaten all week and I've been working out and thinking almost like if I'm dating young, then I'll stay young. It's my fountain of youth by being with youth or something like that. And I think that's something they don't really touch on it, but it's definitely there of like why, you know, when she goes and, and orders her food and then changes the order yes. and it's like that first order, that should have been what you ordered. And if he can't handle it, then he's got to go. Yeah. <laughs> that idea too of like, I have to keep up with this younger guy. It's like, no, 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 it doesn't matter the age. You should be able to be you. I don't care if they're 20 or 50. That's exactly right. And, and that, that part of that particular episode really hit home for me because when I was back on the market, that sounds terrible. Back I, when I was when I was back on the market for sale, like a like a piece of meat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they put a sign on me. <laughs> I 
I couldn't believe that that any man was interested in me. First, let's put that out there. But that uh, then when younger men were interested in me and I was like, no, this is a joke. Is this a joke? And living in Southern California where, I mean, our society in general is youth obsessed and youth oriented, uh, but living in Southern California really brings that home. And so, you know, I have all these beautiful men wanting to date me and I, I really had to take a look inside and, and uh, you know, really dig out my confidence and think about why why I was interested in that, um, not just why they were interested in me. It's not for the, for the faint of heart, uh, I'll tell you that. And I, I hope that folks can really come to a point where it's not about age, but we have ourselves figured out before we start getting into things. We all carry that backpack around, right? Just how stuffed is it? How full of it? Uh, stuff is it? And can we empty it out before we start dragging it into something else? There's the fun of it. And then there's the you know, what are you really ready for? Anytime I think of an age difference in a relationship or I see one on TV or anything like that, I'm such a pop, this is more like a personal question. <laughs> I'm such a pop culture person. That is such a bonding thing for people in the same age group. And that's something I always have bonded with my partners with is sharing, oh, when I saw that movie in the theater. Yeah. That to me is what comes to mind is if I were in your position, that would be the biggest hurdle because it's like, oh, you weren't even alive when I was driving around in my car to this, you know. Um, have you encountered that? Is that something that affects you in those relationships at all? Or is that something that just isn't part of what you have with these guys? You know, it's a really interesting question because I have a lot of my friends who are like, what the hell do you talk about? What the hell do you talk about with somebody who's 25 or 30 or even 35? And I don't know if I am drawn to guys who who are already there. So for example, all the guys that I date are into classic rock. I don't believe we'll call it classic rock anymore, but <laughs> the last man I dated had... Um, you know, a turntable, a record player, record collection. Uh, we listen to Fleetwood Mac together. Is there some of that? Yeah, there's some of it. But I think what really draws us to people are those common experiences. And okay, I had already had children by the time he was born. It's also learning, right? If you, I cannot date somebody who's not curious about life. So even if we don't share those commonalities or those common reference points um, as having lived through them. Um, if you're curious about each other, you learn all of that. If not, then maybe you had some good sex and you move on to the next. <laughs> no, that's a really good point because also if someone's curious and intellectual and always kind of consuming like you are, then whatever's happening, you're still involved in whatever is new and coming out you're you can share together. So that, no, that makes sense. I, same thing. It's not so much, what would you talk about? Just those collected connections that people have through generations that I think for me would be a tough hurdle, but that makes a lot of sense. I think, you know, what, what brings us together with another person, right? I mean, it doesn't matter the age. Uh, you don't think about, I mean, okay, I have a significant age gap between me and a lot of my partners. But if you think about any of us, um, what brings us together? It's interest and attraction. Um, you know, I'm not going to start dating somebody and say, you know, well, I have a PhD in gerontology, so let's talk about old age. How do you feel about old age? How do you feel about old women having sex? Are you into that? Because <laughs> you're about to find out. <laughs> right. Uh, I'll be a professor in the classroom, but uh, I'm not interested in teaching here. So let's talk about that. <laughs> 
<laughs> like professor in the streets and freak in the sheets. There you go. <laughs> Exactly. Have you had anything similar maybe in the beginning when you were dating younger men or because of who the guy was? Have you had a moment like Dirk where you're at dinner and it's just, oh, okay, this he he's making me feel old. This is not going to work. <laughs> yeah. So I was dating a guy, beautiful surfer, Redondo Beach, you know, the whole thing. And we were together at, and he was talking about an experience he'd had at work. And he said, yeah, there were a lot of tens there. And I had to stop for a minute. And I was like, what the f I said, are you, are you rating women? Are you, are you like, are you seriously rating women? And we just had sex. So I looked at him and I said, well, what, what am I? <laughs> Which is the wrong, wrong question, right? I should have just been horrified and walked out at that point. Uh, and he goes, oh, we won't talk about that right now. <laughs> so I was like, well, you can f*** off. So I, I left shortly after that and never returned any of his phone calls. Another moment I had was um, dating a guy for quite some time. Um, at a He's in Portland at a, at a distance. And we had been out um, to one of my favorite dive bars, which you know very well. And walking down the street, he was had had too much, we both had had too much to drink, but I was walking ahead of him. There were a bunch of people out and the bar was kind of closing. And he's like, hey, mom, hey, wait up. And I turned around and I was like, what the f And I think he had a moment where he was embarrassed, right? So was is he really with me and maybe explaining to the people around him? So, so I mean, in analyzing that situation and us talking about it, the next day I said, dude, if you are not comfortable being outside the bedroom with me uh, and being around other people and holding my hand without worrying that people think I'm your mother, this is probably not going to work out. <laughs> yeah. So, so it didn't make me feel old. Those, those moments haven't necessarily made me feel old, but they have brought into sharp focus um, what some of these guys are facing, right? It actually made me kind of sad that we're, we're in a place where we are thinking so much about the, the physical things and what people look like. And most of all, what people are going to think and judge us. Uh, earlier, you were talking about the, the judging part of it. I'm pretty comfortable in my own self. You know, I'm an educated woman. I have a PhD. Uh, I, I have, uh, you know, 20 plus years in the classroom. And my life experience has brought me to a place where I feel pretty good. I feel, you know, even if I had a Dirk moment right now, where she did at the table, I would probably just laugh and get up and walk out because that's on him, right? That's his thing. And if you're not ready for something like this, um, then you need to go unpack your backpack. <laughs> <laughs> no, that is a really good point. Like that guy saying that out of the bar, that's obviously him projecting his concerns about it onto these strangers who aren't <laughs> saying anything so that he can just panic and shout out mom. Like, <laughs> right. and sir, it's, it's call your therapist. <laughs> and that goes back to that, you know, that emotional intelligence you were talking about mm -hmm. and that confidence and doesn't come with age because you could be 60 and still be insecure about something, your partner, yourself, whatever. Or you could be 20 and yell mom yeah. at your date and think that that's going to work out well. 
<laughs> right. And he was in his, he's in his thirties. And, you know, the other uh, guy that I was dating for about eight months over COVID was 24 when I met him, 25. And he, there was so much PDA. There was holding hands and, you know, uh, the waiter comes over and asks for dessert if we want dessert. And he'll say, well, she's my dessert, right? Cheesy, but yeah, I like it, you know, just. Well, everyone wants to feel like their partner is proud of them. Right. Proud to be seen with them, proud to be out with them, no matter what that thing is that might lead to them not feeling that way. So, yeah, that's very sexy because it's like, ooh, you're making me feel sexy. So you're sexy and the sexiness just multiplies. Yes, exactly. You know, I will tell you about a dinner moment. We were at a restaurant here in in Claremont, which is where I live. And it was, oh, I know we were at Piano Piano. I don't know if you have ever been to a Piano Piano. It's like dueling pianos and it's a lot of fun. And he was sitting across the table from me and I've known him for quite some time. And I said, what is happening? What are you, are you, is something not right? And so turns out later there was no PDA. He was very quiet. Um, and you know me when I'm out, like I am not quiet at all. So that's why we're um, friends. <laughs> right. So I was laughing because the waitress poured my wine all the way to the top. And I said, well, she must know me. <laughs> so I was having a good time. I couldn't figure it out. And so we get back to our room and he's like, everybody was looking at us. And I said, what are you talking about? And so then I made a joke. I'm like, yeah, because I'm pretty hot. <laughs> and he really had a hard time. And he said, people were looking at us. And I said, wait, do you think it was the, it's the age difference? I said, it was super dark in there. And frankly, I feel like I look younger than you. <laughs> so, yeah. And, you know, when those things come up, I just try to not, you know, it really got to Blanche, right? And it made her sad and it made her, um, she internalized that. And that's what happens with ageism in general. And that's why age, ageism is so dangerous and detrimental because, any of us when we're faced with things like that internalize it and we go home and we look in the mirror and we say what is wrong with me so if we can get to a point where we realize it's not it doesn't have anything to do with us it has nothing to do with us it has everything to do with that person and it really makes me feel sad that we put these societal these pressures on stupid things like age right what advice do you have for anyone that is looking at dating someone that's significantly younger than them know thyself <laughs> and and figure out why you're doing it right? do you just want to have sex and have a good time great go in and do it to check your ego at the door but also remember that it's not really about age it's about you and how well you know yourself and what your intentions are and if you can communicate that to your younger partner um, I, I think that's that's what it's all about and making sure that you're on the same page. If you are or you're thinking about dating a younger man, remember that, um, you know, we're all just human beings here trying to connect. The only thing I'll add is I, I highly recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly is right. Age is nothing but a number. Live the life you want. And if that means it is a life lived with younger partners, so be it. We should all feel so secure enough in ourselves to date whomever we want, regardless of what others may think. If dating someone of a different age causes you to change who you are, well, then they just aren't the person you should be spending your time with. 
order that meal and eat it all. If the person across the table has a problem with it, well, perhaps they'll leave and you can have their food too. And let's all take a lesson from Alma. Do those things that scare you. Hiding away, literally or figuratively, isn't going to make your life shorter or less scary. Start that business. Live a creative life. Go on that trip. Tell them you love them. Do the scary things. Because not living won't keep you from dying. Until next time, thank you for listening, and thank you for being a friend. For one-of-a-kind art with a retro hand-painted feel, look no further than LizFranklin.com. Not only are there prints of the outside of the girl's house, but on our Society6 page, you can get prints of the kitchen, lanai, bedrooms, the kitchen, and even Rose's kitchen back in St. Olaf. My personal favorite, a painting of the painting from the kitchen. It's a perfectly subtle way to celebrate the girls in any room. So visit Liz Franklin, that's L-I-Z-F-R-A-N-K-L-A-N-D.com for Golden Girls art and more. I would love to go on a trip somewhere and the first thing someone says is, come in here and take a nap. Truly. There's so much pressure to move and move when you're visiting someone. And like, oh, you're here now. Let's go get food and let's go see the people. Let's not. Yeah. Let's watch TV for like an hour. Yeah. And then I'm going to take a nap. Yeah. And then we're probably just going to order some food and we'll start tomorrow. Yeah. Please, God. Extra. You need buffer days. Yeah. I got to get all that plain air out of me. Buffer days, man. It's not a lie if it helps you. You know... (laughs) Not alive, it helps. The more you know. To more accurately. <laughs> Dorothy delivered the dog lines years totally straight. Dog lines years? <laughs> you hear that, Weiss? Yeah. How's there an ant on my laptop? Answer me that. Answer you that? Yeah. Dunk on your cruddy old sweats. Yeah. And your new cruddy sweats. <laughs> Blanche goats of goats. <laughs> Blanche goats about. Oh my God. Blanche goats about her feeling so youthful and brightly. Rose and Dorothy leave the kitchen while Blanche sits and contemplates. Contemplates. Rose and Dorothy leave the kitchen while Blanche sits and contemplates. Oh my gosh. Always Be My Sisters is written, hosted, and created by Alicia Holland. Produced and edited by Josh McCullough. Always Be My Sisters is a Cascade Media production. You'll always be my sister.